Bill Thirst and Saurabh Gupta of HFS Research discuss the Agile Supply Chain Credo and offer actionable advice on how to carry out a successful supply chain transformation right now on the Agile Supply Chain Podcast. Phil and Saurabh, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, the next shoot of one of our thought leadership series where we've been talking to industry thought leaders, practitioners around uh, the impact of Agile in particular, and to discuss this Agile supply chain credo that we came up with uh, together with the industry. Uh, it's technology and vendor agnostic. It's really you know, a lot of common sense about how the healthcare supply chain needs to be focused. I think the industry, the, in, the interesting aspect of that is that you know, Agile, while it may have grown up in software, it was quite quickly adopted into the operations world for supply chain and lean and world-class manufacturing. But I think it's just different lenses looking at exactly the same issues. How do we, you know, um, focus on the outcome, focus on the patient in this particular sense? So let me ask each of you to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your the HFS um, organization, Phil, that you've started and uh, your life sciences work. So over to you. Let's start with Phil. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Rudy. Uh, Phil first. I'm the uh, founder, uh, chief analyst at HFS. Um, I've been an analyst for about 17 years and a consultant for three. And I prefer talking about this stuff than actually doing it. So I'm an analyst today. Enjoyed it very much. And actually the pleasure of working with you, Roddy, about 10 years ago now, I believe. So, um, um, and looking forward to becoming part of this conversation. Um, I've had some involvement with life sciences, uh, largely through family connections, actually. My father was a well-known protein uh, engineer back in the day, Professor Alan First of Cambridge, who's just retired. And I did some work uh, in my earlier years on bio-IT and sequencing and, and, and some of the processing issues and bioinformatics areas around the industry. And I've always kept fairly close to what's going on in the space and understanding this whole healthcare value chain from retail right through to the pharma companies and the drug discovery cycle. So uh, that's an area of interest. And I also look very closely at areas like automation and AI and obviously digital in our, in our research focus. Fantastic. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that you, you talk about your, your background and, you know, your sort of first days contact and, and your, your father in the industry. I mean, the industry has been a, a laggard for such a long time. And it's confronted with such massive change in the pandemic and second of all, opportunities in cell and gene therapy, that there's this massive opportunity to leapfrog into the future. I think all the elements are there. It's just the burning platform and the leadership to make it get there. So, uh, so Rob, how about you? Yeah. Hey, thanks, Roddy, for, for having me here. Um, so I'm the chief research officer at HFS, so I, I lead our our research and advisory services, um, working closely with Phil. Um, I've I've been in this industry um, for you know close to close to two decades um, in in various roles. Uh, I actually so started as a software engineer um, doing programming, uh, then realized I wasn't very good at it, so became a consultant uh, <laughs> where I advised a number of uh, you know, life sciences and healthcare companies, as well as other industry folks on um, things around global services, IT services, business process services. I then spent a bunch of time with a biopharma company here in Chicago called AbbVie, 
um, and I call them a $25 billion startup because they had just, uh, uh, you know, got out of uh, Abbott Labs and were trying to find their feet on sort of operating on their own. So I was responsible for doing a bunch of uh, third-party services uh, for them from finance and accounting um, to, you know, things like pharmacovigilance, transparency, um, along with IT services. Um, and now I'm here with um, with HFS, um, basically writing about uh, everybody else uh, and analyzing them. And, um, you know, we we truly believe that this this pandemic shock um, has has created that burning platform, Roddy, that you just articulated to, to you know accelerate digitization. Um, I think what's what's also interesting is that we are entering into a recessionary economy. So how do you marry those two things? You know, on one hand, you need to accelerate digitization across supply chains and across practically every part of your business, but at the same time, you have to do a lot more with a lot less. Um, and that's um, that's an interesting dynamic to to sort of deal with. Fantastic. So, um, you know, we spoke about the the agile supply chain um, credo, which really focused on a technology vendor agnostic model of sort of good practices in the industry. So, Phil, as the as the chief research officer of of HFS, and your focus, and I've always known you to be the authoritative. Uh, analyst on, you know, outsourcing uh, IT services, platforms, managed services, etc. What pops out at you um, in the in the credo sense? And it's perhaps an unfair question given your background, uh, because you you were steeped in the industry so early on. So what what pops out at you, and what do you think the challenges are to the industry in uh, you know reaching some of those aspirations? Uh, and we're talking very specifically now about. COVID and, and what's going on in the current predicament, because that's obviously changed things quite differently from, from before, right? So, um, you know, from the perspective I have, um, in, in some instances, this has created a whole new platform for, for uh, life sciences and healthcare in terms of the attention it's getting, money that's being pumped into the industry. You know, I have friends at companies like Deloitte, Accenture, and some of these consulting firms who are licking their lips with the money they're making right now, uh, working with these companies on dealing with uh, very fragmented supply chains, um, using funding to help uh, advance track and trace apps, uh, obviously vaccine works and things like that. So in many respects, um, it's put the industry in a big spotlight um, and, you know, investments being pumped in. You know, I think this could actually be a positive rather than a negative longer term, because um, this might not be our first pandemic. God forbid there are more coming. You know, we never saw this. So um, in that respect, I think, you know, it's created some excitement on the on the challenge side. It's massive. Obviously, uh, supply chains are fragmented. It's hard to know how to get, um, you know, inventory in and out of countries, understand what's open, what's not, regulations, government corporations, things like that. So it's a very fluid, current um, chaotic scenario that you need to be on top of. Uh, you need to be very current. You need to have very, very strong data. You need to have people around you who really know what they're doing. Um, and on top of that, you know, you've got, if not all of your staff working from home, some in labs who are essential workers and things. So um, the challenges are massive. It's the same in obviously every industry right now is facing big, big challenges. Um, at least with life sciences, the positive is 
I, I think there's an interesting direction for them to go as we get into the next year and beyond in, in how to make this all happen. But even things like vaccine distribution, I was reading about the fact that they need a certain level of refrigeration uh, for vaccine distribution. So you can't just do this through your CVSs and these things. You're going to have to create a whole infrastructure as well for that to happen next year and obviously many, many other things to consider. So um, it's chaos. Um, it's potentially exciting chaos. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's an area that requires a lot of thought, um, some investment in the things that are really critical, like you need a very strong backbone uh, to analyze the current situation and, and stay ahead of it. Yeah. So, so, Rob, you've worked in a life sciences company. And when I say patient-centric, I, I can remember once I, I uh, was working with a big biotech company and I said to the, uh, the head of tech ops, I said, well, we're doing this big supply chain transformation. Let's bring in the idea of patient-centric. And he said, Roddy, oh, no, 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 no. We're not ready to think. This is about five years ago. We're not ready to think like that. Let's not confuse the business. So, you know, one of, the, one of the essential kind of cornerstones of that um, uh, supply, agile supply chain credo is the fact that it is about patient centricity. It, it's about moving away from, you know, insurance policy-based inventory levels to patient-centricness, you know, being able to respond fast to events, to be able to sense those events, uh, you know, using systems to augment people's uh, decision-making processes, not to replace them. How would you comment about what pops out at you and, and any aspects that you want to talk about as big opportunities, major challenges, Sarah? Yeah, no. <clears throat> so, look, I, I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, patient centricity um, or more broadly, even consumer centricity, right? Because not everybody is going to be... Um, a patient in the healthcare, you know, we, we need to be talking about, we need to be shifting the conversation from illness to wellness um, in, a, in a lot of different ways. So I think consumer centricity is a huge part of this. I, I actually believe that we've been talking about this industry as a B2B industry. It's actually becoming a B2C industry um, in a lot of ways, right? So if you look at, for example, medical devices, uh, they are essentially becoming data companies, right? Um, if you look at a diabetes pump, um, for example, right? It's not just imagine the amount of data that these companies are gathering, uh, you know, social data, behavioral data from the patients. And, you know, there's one part of it is that you need to be adaptable and responding to the customer needs. But there's also another angle that you can actually monetize um, the data that you have and create different business models um, around this. Um, and I think even if you look at pharma companies, um, you know, there are these combo devices that are coming up, you know, it's no longer just a pill or a drug. Uh, it needs to be injected or it needs to be pumped into your body. So I think the, the devices and the pharma industry is also converging. So I think it definitely is, uh, is, is uh, you know, a huge challenge. Um, I think most people do realize that they need to be consumer centric. Um, but it's 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 not a slam dunk, right? It's 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 very very, it's very complicated, and it's it's become even more complicated now after this pandemic shock because supply chains. You know, we just did a survey, Roddy, of uh, of a large number of global two thousand organizations where, you know, there were about forty different um, uh, life sciences uh, companies who who participated there, 
and they there were these top three challenges that emerged you know number one was supply chain uh, which has been tremendously impacted you know basic things like how many apis are coming from china you know you don't have visibility into that and that's you know so how do you how do you deal with that i think the second uh, piece that's concerning um, life sciences is uh, is speed to market um, you can have warp speed projects here um, for for let's say covid-19 vaccinations but what happens to all the other drugs that were you know in that um, in that little time window of getting approved uh, those things have been slowed down so overall speed to market has been impacted and then the ways of working right uh, how do you do research and development and how do you do all these things working from home um, you know it's it's just super challenging um, and uh, um, so so i think completely agree with the credo that you know consumers or patients have to be front and center um of this thing you know we've been talking about the one office for you now four or five years which basically talks about that this whole thing about front office middle office back office is is crap right and and there's only one office that matters and that's the office that caters to the patient or the consumer um but at the same time you know it's 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 a very very hard thing to do and and i think the the conversation has to now start to move on you know how do we get there uh, i think the why is pretty well understood and i think if if somebody doesn't understand the why you need to be patient centric then you know you need to really not be in this industry right so so i'm going to talk to something that you know is i think near and dear to fullsart because i've watched a lot of his posts you know around you know, um rpa uh in around ai etc and and i think you know this industry is still very gun shy about making the pivot to completely looking at the business from the outside in i.e. looking at patient usage patient data um patient demand and then translating it back into the supply chain because 10 15 years ago there were some you know massive multi billion dollar fines that were handed out to some big pharmaceutical companies because of you know them inadvertently using patient data for the wrong stuff however if we look at you know ai machine learning rpa etc we we can start using that data in models and algorithms to provide much better visibility and call it segmentation call it characteristics of demand call it segments of patients and using that data to do what the the credo calls for and that is use those models and those systems and those analytics to augment people's decision making capabilities right so instead of just making 300 days worth of inventory and stuffing it everywhere and hoping that patients are going to get it now you can understand where exactly do we need to have this product and how much do we need and of course there's always safety factors but so let's go to the subject i mean ai rpa machine learning how real do you think it is in this industry that's traditionally so conservative in it uh you know do you think they're ready to take a step into the future full um i mean it they're being forced to more than ever and in many cases they have no choice so rpa is a very useful tool for working around um 
legacy systems and getting them to work with each other um, using various sort of fairly old technologies, by the way, to um, you know, ele- ele- electronically you know, digitize workflow. And it, it gets data moved around the company better. It's used fairly reactively. It's used, for example, the NHS in the UK, they use uh, RPA to take you know, paper paper documents from doctor surgeries, scan them, and it automatically puts them into the green screen mainframes and moves that data along. So it moves things along. It's a quick fix, and it does have a place. But the problem with it is it's not, um, you know, fully industrialized yet, and IT doesn't isn't that familiar with it, and it's hard to implement in many cases. But it is very useful, and it can really help with some fairly rudimentary task-based activities. But when you look at what's happening right now, where we are shifting into a very aggressive work from anywhere, I live from anywhere model. It's live from anywhere, work from anywhere. You've got to move a lot of stuff into the cloud that we haven't done in a decade. I mean, a lot of the conversations over the last decade have been sort of put aside while a lot of organizations are just making this pivot into the cloud as aggressively as they can. And what's happened uh, in this pandemic is most companies have been forced to make some rudimentary transformation with their processes just to get this functioning in a remote environment. And it's for many businesses, including life sciences firms, it's the first time in decades that they've been forced to look at their processes, which are completely antiquated and not aligned with where they want to be. Because ultimately, they need to design the processes in a way that fulfills the business needs, fulfills the outcomes they want, whether it's patient-centric or centricity or not, they need to redesign processes. And then if you're moving everything into the cloud, you have to automate them. Automation is not a strategy, buddy. It's something that is a native attitude. It's something that you have to do. It's not, a, it's not are we going to do automation now? It's going to be the next big thing. No, if you don't automate your processes, you can't move everything into the cloud. You can't run your work digitally. And AI comes into play once you've automated processes, you can then orchestrate them using, using clever tools and technology and machine learning to do that. But it's a sequence of activity activities that need to take place so it's this redesign and then you've got to then automate and then you move it into the cloud as you start to look at your opportunities next and that's a path that everybody's having to go through you look at the platforms that are now popular amongst businesses it's larger broader platforms things like you know microsoft azure and you've got the amazon products you've got the ibm products you've got all these platforms now service now for example where they're starting to uh, integrate processes together. They're starting to bring this together in a platform because decisions are made high up the value chain. They need a platform to run them off. And a lot of this depends on what will do the job. It's not necessarily best of breed anymore. It's just what will work, what will move them fast and how's this going to happen. So there's a massive change going on at the executive level in terms of you need to be a proponent of change today. You, you have to be somebody who's willing to move fast, cut a few corners, get things done. When you look at some of the results of some of the service providers right now, they're growing their businesses this year. It's incredible, you know, looking at some of the uh, you know, financial performances of these businesses because these enterprises have no choice but to bring in help to do it. So, you know, we are blessed to be in the technology industry right now, buddy. We're absolutely blessed that we're in the technology services business. Well. Let's let's hope the wave keeps on rolling for, for a while. And I think you make a great point because, you know, for as long as I can remember, all of the major pharmaceutical companies, just to pick on pharma, you know, selected, you know, your favorite German ERP system as the cornerstone of everything that they did. 
Well, we all know the disadvantages of ERP, right? It's point-to-point, it's multiple replications of data, uh, there's multiple versions of the truth. And so, you know, building a business that has a 300-day, two to 300-day insurance policy of inventory out there to make sure a patient gets everything, that was sort of okay after spending, you know, anywhere from one to $3 billion on your ERP investment. But that's not going to cut it for the future, especially as patient communities get more segmented and we've got to be a lot more refined on the patient side of the supply chain because, you know, uh, um, a CVS, a Walgreens, a Boots, they're all popping up as, you know, alternative points of, of dispensaries in the, in the future. So it's no longer just hospitals. It's no longer just dos, uh, doctors. It's now, you know, retail pharmacies, it's clinics, uh, and and all of the above. So so let's talk a little bit about how does this impact the IT organization? How's it impacting them? I can start this, and others can, others can join in. But um, it's changing the way we are consuming technology, and this is happening right here, right now. Um, and um, our behavior is shifting very quickly. Um, the way that we need to um, look at processes changing right right now, and. Um, Applications are shifting as well. Things that were built for the era before this might no longer be that relevant. I can't tell you how many ERP projects are currently on hold. They're just, let's not finish that now. We have other priorities in place. The new priorities are now hitting organizations very hard. Um, they're looking at like quicker pivots, getting things done faster. I've seen projects that were eight months being reduced to three weeks in certain instances. And at this speed, this rapidity, um, is it, changing things, but also how we're consuming technologies is shifting as well um, in terms of how do we need to use, uh, obviously, video technology is now incredibly important and I think will still be important when COVID eventually goes away, which could be another year or so, right? Um, so how do we leverage that more effectively? The other thing which I think is really starting to become important is we're seeing a mingling of consumerization and personal technology with business technology like how do we start to blend our personal lives with our business lives and that is a, that is a challenge uh, that we've never had at this scale and it's a massive security issue and I'm amazed that security isn't the number one topic right now discussed it sort of seems to be always brushed away somewhere but you know the amount of exposure uh, not just to businesses but to us personally now you know you're using the same laptop for managing your managing your annex repayments as you know your zoom calls with roddy or something you know you're potentially exposing yourself to a hacking activity with um you know on trace ai or hfs right today so so there's a lot of stuff that's changing in the way that we're consuming and using technology it's harder for uh, to get in front of people and their machines and their, their applications to, to look at this stuff and observe this stuff. And so you need more sophisticated monitoring apps. You need more sophisticated supply chain apps. Um, you need to start to think about what works more effectively in this type of environment to make, make things operate. So I think there's a lot of work in progress. There's a lot of figuring this out. But the number one, um, one of the number one areas that we're being asked about is what are the applications of the future that are evolving from this scenario? Because this is this is happening, you know, right as we talk. You know, the the, the needs are changing. Uh, we're, we're seeing new issues crop up, new needs uh, happening all the time, and um, we're all figuring this out. That's that's very interesting. So, so, so Rob, um, if you can add anything to what Phil just said, and then what I'm going to uh, uh, to ask you as we close out is, if you could, you know, each of you just give us a stop and a start. 
that you think would be, you know, useful advice to any one of the uh, um, the listeners to uh, that are ultimately going to participate in this? So, um, so Rob, what would you add to what Phil said? Yeah, I just, I think, uh, I think Phil is bang on. I just add that, you know, if you look at the challenges for implementing technology, <clears throat> the challenges are not about technology itself. The, the challenges are about mindset, the challenges are about culture, the challenges are about process, the challenges are about people, the challenges are about getting the right business case, it's about getting the C-level commitment. It's, it's not about the technology is poor, right? Um, and I think if you, the oldest competency framework that we had, uh, Martin, from, you know, for donkey's years is that people process technology. Uh, framework, right? And imagine there were these, this was a Venn diagram with three equal circles um, and the and the emphasis on equal, right? And what has happened is that technology circle has, you know, become really big, but the people and process have shrunk uh, and nobody's paying, uh, you know, importance to that. And technology has just overpowered the narrative. But I think, you know, you can throw as much technology at it but till you are solving for some of the other challenges that are associated with it, right? Um, take people, take process, take data. You know, you can have the best algorithm, the sexiest stuff out there. But if your data is crap, you know, what do you do with it? Um, uh, take change management. You know, you can you can be the best in terms of investing loads of money on emerging technologies. But if you don't have a robust change management program, it's of no use. So I think I think. The only thing that will add to what Phil said was, you know, technology for the sake of technology doesn't work. Um, you know, we can talk about not just AI and automation and analytics, but take blockchain or IoT or even quantum computing. You know, but till you solve for that competency framework of people, process, technology, and throw in data and change management at it, um, you know, we are going to keep running in circles. Yeah, so you actually leave a, a an interesting visual um, behind in my head, and that is that there's this big circle called technology, and actually the people, the process, and the leadership circles are inside the technology circle. They're not a, it's not a Venn diagram anymore, and I mean that's a that's a very different way of thinking from the way we used to think in the past. So very quickly as we close out, um, Phil, if you could succinctly. Define a you know an insightful stop and an insightful start, and then a hand over to Sarab, and then we'll call it a day. Yeah, it's uh, this isn't like two thousand and eight where we had a crash, we came back, and we went, we went back to the same old same old habits of the before because this is truly an endemic change. Um, I think we've already gone through some of that, but it's going to get deeper as we go through a tough winter and probably a tough start to next year, and then, and then hopefully we'll see a new dawn emerge from, from, from this and uh, we have to adapt. We have to accept the fact that things have changed and will change forever. And we need to change within ourselves to, to get ahead of this. And that means we need to figure out how to be more digitally fluent, which means if we're uh, an operations executive, we need to learn a bit about how database schemas look, how um, you know types of IT setups work more effectively to support our business needs and if you're on the technology side you need to understand business context this is this is the time where we've been talking about this for decades but this right. is the time where it truly truly that interplay comes together I call it digital fluency and um, you need to 
get ahead of this. You need to be proactive. You need to learn about this stuff. And you need to stay stay as positive as you can because uh, we're all a little jaded after months and months of this. And uh, we have to keep plowing on and realizing we're only halfway through this. Um, and this will eventually fade away and there will be some tremendous opportunities at the back end and we just need to stay focused and and uh, keep keep learning you know we've had, we've got no right to stop learning uh, and right now we need to be thinking more than ever about how do I work with this what can I do to be, be successful here you know and, and how can I think about what works better in this type of scenario and uh, so let's embrace this let's embrace change and, and really embrace the people around us to do that. Right. So, so get out of your ostrich jig. Stop trying to recreate the past. It's never going back there and start being digitally fluent for the future. I think that's great advice, right? Because I think there's tons of little digital experimental projects going on all around in many of these companies, but they're not systematically focused on building new capabilities in the business. So, no, Sarab, what would you say are your stops and starts or stop and a start? Um, so, I'll say... Um, in terms of the starts, I'd say it's time to start slaying your legacy dragons, right? Uh, and and legacy dragons, you know, not just in terms of the technical debt that you that you were talking about, Roddy, but what about the process debt? Uh, you know, we've we can talk about the sunk investments in ERPs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but what about the you know decade-old processes and checklists and you know tons of those wasteful activities that every enterprise has. I, I think this is the time to start, you know, trashing a lot of that uh, stuff. Um, and in terms of stops, I'd say, you know, stop being narcissistic, right? Stop being, <laughs> you know, stop being, you know, so blockbuster kind of overconfident in your, that, we are the best and we know what we are doing. I think look around you, things are changing. Um, look across industries as well. You know, I, I think, uh, 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 you know, life sciences shouldn't just look at life sciences. You know, life sciences should look at other industries. Right. Um, and I think they are. I think they, they are. are. I think that they look at consumer goods and consumer electronics. So just to close off, I have an amusing story. Phil will know me from my AMR days when we worked together. I, I, I was always the MES guy, right? And the interesting thing was in MES, there was always this paper on glass scenario and they would implement a, a, an electronic battery record system, but there was always this room and, and a couple of companies called it the yellow room. And it was this room of yellow files and there were literally thousands and thousands and thousands of sheets of batch record and quality records just in case the MES failed, right? So the point is, get rid of those yellow rooms because they ain't coming back uh, and, and move, you know, lock, stock and barrel to the digital world. So, so on that note, Phil, thank you for making the time. I, I know that Welcome. it's late for you. And, uh, and Sarab, well, I'm not going to apologize to you because it's not that much uh, uh, um, time difference from Boston, but really appreciate your points. Uh, digitally fluent, I love that as a heads up to any uh, executive in a life sciences company. You know, stop treating this as digital experimental, become digitally fluent and look at ways of improving the way the business operates. So fantastic uh, addition to our thought leadership series. And uh, with that, thank you very much. Have a good evening. Bye. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.